I think they meant all they need is the Lord. I don't think they were singing it to one another. Were you thinking that? Yeah. No, that was beautiful, really. I shouldn't make light of it, but appreciate this special music. Because that does really bring us, bring our hearts and prepare our hearts, doesn't it, for what the Lord would have for us from his word today as well. And amazingly fit in perfect with um, what the Lord has brought to my heart to uh, share with you this morning. And uh, I, I got, Pastor Mark called me at 1220 this morning and asked me if I would fill, fill in. Yeah. When the phone rings at 12.20 in the morning, it's usually not a good thing, but uh, it is because I can serve the Lord and uh, help out. But um, I, you know, immediately, you know, I just needed to go back to sleep. But, um, but I, I immediately started just praying and asking the Lord, what would you have me to, to preach on short notice and really quite, really honestly, unprepared in a lot of ways, you know, to... Uh, to stand here t- today a lot less prepared than I would ever want to be. Uh, I, I like to be playing way ahead and be sharp, and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm on my A game today. We've signed on a house on Friday, and have been moving the last two days. And then I got a call at 1220, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, my, af- my afternoon plans today are sleep, yeah. But uh, that's all right. At least that's my plan. God might have another idea there too. But, uh, but, and it would have been easier for me, honestly, to just preach what I did a couple weeks ago, you know. And my wife is thinking right now, why didn't you? Because she's after me about that. But because I was up in Stacyville at another church filling in, so it would have been, you didn't hear it. She did. Uh, but um, uh, the Lord, I, and I, this is one of those things that you can't answer. You have to go back to stuff that, you know, I have a lot of files and notes. It brought me back to a message that, really, you know? And it's a familiar story to us, and, uh, and I have, uh, I've preached from it before, so it's, it's helpful because it's familiar. It's familiar. And I think it's going to be familiar to all of us. I'm keeping it a mystery, Right. It's, uh, and I want this morning, this is my title, A Fresh Look at a Familiar Story. And uh, not because I'm fresh, but I want us to look at it from a fresh perspective this morning, Matthew 14, in Matthew 14. And it's a, and a neat, I think, and as I say, familiar story, fascinating story that is found in the Gospels. Uh, here in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6 always have it. Uh, they have this account. It's fascinating Because Jesus, and at least here in Matthew 14, Peter does something that nobody else has ever done. What is it? Those two people did something nobody else has ever done. They walked on water. That's right. They walked on water. And I I just said the, the chapter, so it's found in verses 22 through 33. Now, I've never walked on water. I've done some things on the water. Almost got killed on the water one day. Uh, Leroy Welsh, so many of you know him, uh, was driving the boat. I was behind the boat on a, a tube. And I can say I was younger, and it's a good thing. And Leroy was driving around in circles. And then he started going around in circles the other way. And I was hitting the white caps 
And I held on for a while until the tube and me turned upside down in the air. I couldn't, gravity took hold then. And I let go of the tube and hit the water so hard. It hurt. And I think some of the aches and pains I have today are still the result of that. Walking on water seemed like a better alternative right at that point. I've done the water skiing, I've done the kneeboarding, I've done the jet skis, the whitewater rafting, all kinds of stuff. But I've never walked on water. We come to a passage like that and you say, really? And is it really possible? Well, yes, it is because it's in the Word of God and Jesus did it and Peter did it. And we can, I think we can learn some things from this true account. That's what it is because it's the Bible. It's true, right? And it's helpful to us. It's right after the feeding, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the chronology of Jesus' ministry and life. And that's kind of, it, it, say kind of important, it is important because of, of what happens, this great miracle and all of this uh, that is happening around that, 5,000 people from a boy's lunch, right? We know that story too. And these are fascinating miracles, we say, but that's the God we serve. He's still the same today. And, and we can look at this, this account, I think that it will help us from this perspective. We must keep our focus on the Lord, this is my proposition, we must keep our focus on the Lord, Jesus, in the trials of our faith. It was a, just a couple of months ago, I got uh, some new contact lenses. You may be saying, well, what does that have to do with anything this morning? Well, this is how. I have one contact lens that is for focusing and reading up close. And the other one is for seeing far away. So this one is the one that's for reading and for up close. This one is the one I'm seeing you through. So you know that if I close this eye, I don't want to see you. Okay? Now what does that have to do with today? It's really because it's interesting. There are many, many things in our life. I tell you, and, and it, this whole contact thing is kind of new, but it, it does it all by itself. Like I look down, I see with one eye, I look up, I see with the other eye. It's just weird, and you get used to it after a while, okay? But in saying all of that, it becomes an illustration for our lives because we know the proposition that we need to focus on the Lord, okay? We know that. But how many times do we get off focus and we start looking at other things and focusing on instead? And it is an automatic thing. It just, we transition from one thing to another and we go back and we say, okay, yes, i got to focus on the Lord again. And that's really part of what we see, uh, we see here. We either are going to focus up close or we're going to keep our eyes on Christ and focus afar off on things that are eternal, right? So as I want to look this morning at a fresh look at a familiar story and we must focus on the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this morning, in this appointed time, me standing here this morning is not by accident or unplanned by you. We might not have seen it or known or understood it even yesterday. But the circumstances of life and, and uh, particular trials right now have brought it to pass, and we be I believe it's your plan. And I pray, dear Lord, that now this passage of Scripture and this interesting and fascinating story, we would call it, would find application to all of our hearts today. And I pray, dear Lord, that it will be helpful. It will be helpful. 
so that we might focus on you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Matthew 14. Matthew 14. And the context will begin here in verse 22. And it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. We really have four things that are kind of our, our different focuses that we can learn. I think different lessons that I've called them focus here in my outline this morning. And the first one is simply the, the constraint or the constraining that we see here in verse 22. You see the word constrained there. And it's our focus on staying focused on the will of God, on the will of God. And this really brings in the context of the chapter uh, for us. Because uh, straightway does mean, uh, obviously, kind of this immediate or right away thing. And constrained means to compel or to force. And Jesus now, as we see the verse, straightway Jesus is the one that is constraining. He constrained his disciples to, to get into a ship. And you could ask ourselves, well, why? Why would he do that? Have you ever questioned in your heart why God does what he does? Now, don't sit there all pious this morning and say, oh, I never have. <laughs> we do, okay? And in this passage, it is, it is part of that. We, we see, why, why would, Jesus, would Jesus do that? And it's because here of, of, the, of the crowd and what is, what is taking place. He has just performed this great miracle of feeding the 5,000, and his popularity is escalating very rapidly. If a man comes along, takes a lad's lunch, as we call it, the bread and fish and, and feeds the 5,000 men, besides women and children, he'd become a pretty popular guy, wouldn't he? Think about that, ladies. You go, no need to go grocery shopping. We've got a loaf of bread and two fish. Right? That'd be great. And that's enough forever. <laughs> and we think, well, my goodness, you know, if, he, if this great teacher is coming along, he's starting to do these great miracles, he's going to be becoming very popular with the crowd. And you see it over in John uh, chapter 6 and verse 15 is the parallel account. It, it mentions uh, something here in this verse about it. And it says there, John 6, 15, when Jesus therefore perceived, because the Lord always perceives and knows what is in our hearts, it says there, when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come, now the they there is the multitudes that just got fed, okay? And it said they, they would come and take him by force to do what? To make him a king. He departed again into a mountain himself alone. That is what is happening in the minds and, in the, of the crowd and the multitudes there that day. They are wanting to make Jesus their king. And it's not their eternal king. It's not their spiritual king. It is their earthly king. And that's why this whole thing, this point, is the focus on the will of God. Because of the crowd and because they, in, in this case, the disciples, were convinced this materialistic mob mentality, the apostles themselves are going to be swept away by the majority and by the will of men here and not the will of God. And Jesus is teaching us something in this point, once again, to keep the will of God in focus. He knows that it's not his time. In John 4.34, he would make this statement, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come just to meet your material needs. 
Jesus didn't come so you could have a good life here on this earth. Jesus came so he would save your soul, that he would die on the, on the cross and shed his blood and his body would be broken for you and for me. He died to take away the sins of the world. And his very meat, his sustenance, was to do the will of God, not to become an earthly king. Not at that moment. Now let me tell you here, a little commercial, Jesus is coming again and he's coming as the king. And we're looking forward to that, aren't we? But here in this point, he, an earthly king wasn't his goal. It's not the reason for his coming. He came to complete the will of God and to finish the plan of salvation for all of us. So, in light of all that, he constrains his disciples and forces them, as it were, into the boat and out of the area. Don't get mixed up in all of this. You go to the other side and get out of here. The constraint is a focus on the will of God. The second point here is his, the communion or communing in verse 23. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. Don't just read over those words, gloss over them. What, a, what, a, what an incredible thing this is. When it ta talks about, and when he, who are we talking about here? We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh. He had sent the multitudes away. He went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. This communing, his communion, is a focus of dependence. Jesus, our high priest, touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was but in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, went apart to pray. What a focus of dependence. What a focus of dependence. Our infirmities and our weakness in the setting of this, this particular chapter are many. The popularity that was taking place here, the power of God that he displayed, the pride, human pride, was something that we would have to battle with there. And the pressure of the crowd. The men and women in our world, and if the crowd wanted to make, uh, the men and women in our world today if, uh, would be like this crowd here if, if they wanted this man, Jesus, to be their king, then king he would be. And if I was the one in that place and not Jesus, I would want to be king. <laughs> because of all of these, the pressure of what is happening, the popularity that people are looking after, looking and wanting today. But Jesus does the opposite. He goes up into a mountain, apart and alone, to pray. And it says that he was alone, but we know that that quiet place of prayer, you're not alone, are you? He wasn't either. He's communing and fellowshipping, talking with his father. And I think we can learn from this particular point in the pressures of this fast-paced world, we need to take a moment and stop and talk to God, don't we? Not get caught up so much in what is happening around us, but again, focus, focus our dependence on him. That's what prayer is. And here in the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, Jesus gives the lesson, one of many lessons in regards to, to prayer. Matthew 6, verse 5 says, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou... When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, 
And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father, which is in secret. And, and thy father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. Oh, the special place of prayer. Coming apart, going apart, and communing and fellowshipping with, with, with the God of heaven. Daniel, we've seen so many great examples from him lately in the book of Daniel. And Daniel 6.10 had that habit. Says Daniel 6.10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. When the temptations, when the pressures come, we need to go to our place of dependence and prayer. I love Hebrews 4.16 that tells us, Let us therefore come boldly, Come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The constraint is the focusing on the will of God. The communing is the focus of our dependence on God. Number three, here in Matthew 14, we see the commitment of the disciples or the apostles is a focus of obedience. A focus of obedience. Verse 24. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. We look at the passage and we say, well, you know, I've, I've never been in that particular circumstance, you know, so it's maybe a little bit foreign uh, to us, but... You know, we all face times like this, whether it's exactly like it. You know, we're not necessarily on the sea, uh, being tossed with literal waves in a, in a boat. We may not be trying to row ourselves to, to shore or whatever, or go to the other side as, as Jesus commanded them to. But, you know, we're, we're striving and we're struggling in life. We're facing adverse things, things that are keeping us and holding us down and holding us back. And there needs to be, as these disciples, these apostles, really display for us a level of commitment and a focus on obeying what God has said. And the, the 12 apostles here in this passage really could have resisted and rebelled against that, like I have at times in my life when God has told me to do something and I didn't. And they could have done that. They could have, Jesus said, you know, it constrains them to get into the boat. After all, there was 12 of them and one of him. I know that wouldn't have turned out well, but on a human level, you understand what I mean. And they could have said, you know what, we're not, we, don't want, we don't want to do that. But they were committed to obey. And as they got into that uh, boat and on their way and faced the storms, they, it says in verse 24 that they were tossed with waves. And that's what life is like, isn't it? I think many of us here that know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we we're committed in our hearts, and we want to say that we're committed to obey the Lord. But as we go along, there's times where we become tossed with waves. We, 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 things get upset, so to speak. We have our ups and downs. That's what happens when you're tossed with waves, right? You've been out in a boat. We used to, when we lived in Nova Scotia, we'd go uh, out on uh, the, the crossing the ferry, going across the Bay of Fundy from St. John, New Brunswick to Digby, and uh, there was, boy, there was one time we were on that boat, and it was tossed with waves. And we were going up and down and up and down and, and 
yeah, trying to keep it down. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's rough. And that's a literal thing about the figurative things that we face as we get tossed with waves as, 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 they, as they were. This uh, whole idea of being tossed with waves means to torment or to be distressed. It's used in Matthew 8, 29, uh, speaking of a demon-possessed man that was tormented by the demons. Their boat was being consumed and controlled by the waves. There was a contrary wind. We could say it this way, as it seems sometimes in, the, in, the, in our lives, everything was against them. Have you ever had that times, those times? Or it seems like everything's against you? Jesus has said, you get in the boat, you go to the other side, and they are committed to obey. But the wind is against them. The waves are against them. And the sensible thing would have been to turn around and go back to the shore from which they came. But I'm thankful for their example, even in this. They're trying to do as their master had said, and let us go to the other side, being tossed with waves. There's a commitment. There's a focus of obedience. Tossed with waves, and then time was against them. You see it in verse 20, uh, 25 here. It says, in the fourth watch of the night. The fourth watch of the night was between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. I, like I said earlier, really nothing good happens then. I got called in, I guess it'd be the third watch, right? The fourth watch between 3 and 6 o'clock a.m., the, the way I understand it. Now, most of us would make a commitment and we want to obey, but over time we give in and we give up. And they're faced with this storm and being tossed with waves and time has gone by. And we'll give in and we'll give up and we'll give up in the fight. But they don't do that. They're committed to obey. And they continue in their commitment. Hebrews 12.1 tells us, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, that life's journey isn't, isn't a, a sprint. Matter of fact, I don't even want to sprint anymore. But it is a marathon. It is something that we need to be committed to, to continue in and just keep, keep going ahead, keep moving ahead. And even over time, you know, I'm sick of, of the whole virus thing and COVID. I'm sick of it. But we can't lose our focus, can we? <laughs> keep, going, keep going on for the Lord, even when we're tossed, even when time goes by. And then, verse 26, as we've read, brings another level. Because now they're terrified. They're, they're terrified. When the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the sea, what's the Bible say? say? They, were, they were troubled. They were troubled. Troubled means agitated, troubled, or terrified. And uh, listen, when you're already being tossed, when there's already time that has gone by and you're getting nowhere, and then something else piled on top of that, it brings terror to our hearts. It does terrify us and trouble us. And it will test our commitment, won't it? It will test our, our obedience. That's why we need must, to, must focus on obeying. Now, 
At these times, we see and believe things are lies, even that are not true. And that's what they do here. They don't know, and the other passages really say that, because they don't know uh, really what is, who that is or what it is, right, uh, it, that is walking across the water to them. And you don't know a lot of times when we're facing uh, adverse circumstances in our life, the trials of life, we don't always understand exactly what is happening or what, is, what God is trying, trying to do. And we get worked up. We get troubled and agitated. And uh, you ever, I guess I'm trying to think of an instance perhaps where we can all put this into perspective in our lives. But when you get, some may be scared of the dark, right? I think of my son Judas not up here. I don't want to embarrass him, but. He doesn't really like the dark, you know, he's only nine and whatever. So he likes to have a light on somewhere near, but you know how, and I'll just use that as an example, but how it's, um, it's dark in the house, maybe you're a little, uh, all right, you're scared of the dark, just admit it. And, uh, but then so you're, you're there, you're already kind of on edge, but then there's a bump in the night, and it brings it to another, what was that, Right? And you're already kind of on pins and needles, so to speak, and then the pins and needles get sharper. I remember back uh, some time ago, and I, I, I would forget the year, but it was when uh, Justin was just a baby. We had a summer. We were still, of course, living over here on the, on the Mountain Lane Road and, and had our place there. And we had one of those summers that you would never forget. And maybe some of you have had periods of time like that as well. We faced one thing after another, we, we could say. We were tossed with waves, and we were, time was going by, and then we became terrified, right? I remember we were remodeling our house and changing the upstairs and adding a dormer on the whole thing, and it was a big project at where I worked at Height Chevrolet and Skowhegan. They were rebuilding the entire garage facility, and I was working in that every day, and it was not easy. And uh, some days you'd be talking on the phone while they were running a vibrating roller thing right beside you, you know, <laughs> trying to work on the phone. And it was crazy. And then uh, Justin was just a baby at the time, and I forget how old, but just a baby. And uh, Stephanie, I believe it was, this Stephanie right down here, did something to her little brother, baby brother, rolling him over and broke his arm. And that was, that was bad. At least it seemed bad. And then and we're still living in a, a mess and trying to fix up the house and get things finished up. And then we got the call from my brother, my, bro my older brother Paul, that his uh, wife Melanie had gotten killed in a car accident. See, those are the things, that's what I'm talking about. And it's in those particular times, kind of worse than others, right? That's what we see presented here. And... We're going through and we're trying to stay focused and we're committed to obey and we want to please the Lord. We want to go on. And we're, we're rowing and all this effort is being put in and time wears us down and then the terror comes and then it gets really bad. Boy, that'll test your, your mettle, so to speak, right? It'll test your commitment. It's hard to keep our focus when all of these things are coming to pass. And they cried out in fear. They cried out for fear, it says in verse 26. But what a, that's a good response, isn't it? To cry out, cry out. So we see the constraint, the focus on the will of God, the communing, focus on dependence on God, and then the commitment, focus on obeying God. And that's all pretty good lessons, isn't it? But it brings us to our fourth and final point, 
And usually when the pastor says that, there's a big sigh of relief and the pages start closing, but don't do that yet. Because when I say that, it means we're just getting started, okay? No. Number four is the challenge is to focus on the Lord. The challenge here is to focus on the Lord. Verse 27 shows us the comfort in this challenge. Because that's what Jesus does. That's what God does for us. You know the Lord today? You know Jesus as your Savior? Then you have a, a, a good heavenly Father that loves you and is there with you in the storms of life. And when you're troubled and you cry out and I cry out for fear, we get comfort from Him. Verse 27 says, But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And there's been times in all of our lives where we needed those comforting words, isn't there? Where we need to cheer up. It could be worse. I preached just a couple of weeks ago and from Acts 27 where Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is in a storm, a bad storm, Eurachlodon. You remember the passage perhaps. And they go through 14 days of this storm and the ship is just being driven by the storm itself. And the Lord speaks to him. And he stands up before everybody else on the boat and says, be of good cheer. <laughs> it doesn't seem like cheerful moments. But it's a comforting reminder to know in the middle of the storms and the turmoil that Jesus is there and we need not fear. We need not fear. John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. He'll come to you. As you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. We see that kind of being acted out in this passage. John 16, 33 says, In the world ye shall have tribulation. Did you catch that? You will. It's guaranteed. You're going to have tribulation. But Jesus says, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Isaiah 41.13 says, For I, the Lord thy God, will hold thy right hand, saying unto thee, Fear not, I will help thee. I love it when the kids are little, now it's grandkids, you know. But they come alongside and they hold your hand. But isn't that what it's like for us as a child of God? when we can reach out and know that God is holding my hand. And it brings comfort in the challenges. We see, as I've already alluded to in this challenge, the focus on the Lord, the crisis is a challenge for sure. And it just brings us back to that point of, of, of verse 24, in the midst of the sea and tossed with waves, this crisis going on, the contrary wind. All of those things are still there. Can I just say that? When Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid, the storm is still raging. It's still happening. They're still not getting to the other side. It's still 3 o'clock in the morning. And all of these things challenge our focus and our faith. And they say, in verse 28, Peter answered him and said, Peter's always speaking up, Lord, if... It be thou. And Jesus just said it was him. But now he's saying if. Now that's a crisis, isn't it? 
when we're starting because of the challenges and the crisis of life to doubt God and doubt his word. I was thinking that in relation to our nephew, Ed, that just lost his parents this end of this week. You'll, some of you will remember perhaps praying for Ed and Jen and Ed and his family a year or so ago when he lost a sister and a nephew in a tragic car accident down in North Carolina. And it shook him. He's, Ed is a pastor out in, out in New York. He's trying to pastor his people, facing these crises of life, and it really has bought, had a very bad effects on him physically. Uh, Bell's palsy struck part of his, uh, his uh, face and, and things. And he's really had a hard time, and now all of a sudden this comes upon him. And I'll tell you, it's when you're facing those challenges, those crises, that we will, and the devil will bring doubt to our hearts. But the thing we have to do is claim and latch on, latch on to the promises of God. And as we prayed the other night for, for Ed and Jen and their family, I said, and I said this, and you maybe have said it too, but I said to God, I know the promises of your word that you'll not give us more than we can bear. But it is at these times of crisis that you would think, maybe, perhaps, in this time, God has given me more than I can bear. God's word is always true. And there's always comfort. And there's always peace that can come from him. And that's why we need him and his word. The challenge in this, this crisis, the confidence in this challenge, the confidence in this challenge. Whereas we continue in verse 29, and Jesus speaks one word, and he said, come. Come. One word. And that's the on that one word is what Peter acts on. Simply faith in the word that Jesus spoke. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how we act. That's how we live by faith. It's confidence in what God has said. How do we know that we're born again? Because we feel like it? We know we're born again because God has said, if you call on the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. It's resting and standing on what God has said and not what I feel. Because feelings go up and down, don't they? But God's word is always true. And here in this crisis situation, this challenge that they're facing, one word brings confidence to somebody like Peter. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Have any of us seen heaven? But I know there's heaven waiting because we believe it by faith. We believe what God has said. And it gives substance to what God has promised. It gives evidence of the things we haven't seen. You're facing a challenge today. If you're not, you may have or you will be. Have confidence, faith in what God has said in the Word of God. Courage in the challenge. In this challenge, in our passage, verse 29. Again, he said, come. And get this, and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. You say, courage, that's foolishness. 
not when Jesus said come. This been, and many of you know, our, our, our testimony and, and Michelle and I and our family, and there's been times where I'm sure even some of you said, what in the world is that Rye Singer family doing? Back in 2004, walking an aisle, committing our lives uh, to God's service. In 2005, going off to Bible college, when I was 36 years old with five kids. That's foolish. But Jesus said, go. So we went. And there are times when we have to step out of the boat and walk simply because God said so. And that's what Peter does. That's what Peter does. I mean, the wind and the waves, Jesus over there. Think about what it took to pick that foot up. I'm going to try and do it. And to step out. What was that like? And to have it be solid footing. And that's why that verse that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It gives a bedrock foundation that you can trust in as you step out and as you go forward. doesn't mean you always understand how it's going to work. He didn't think about the, all of the... The things about the water, I can't even think of the word I want to say there, but they, all of the, the things about water, you don't walk on water. You sink on water. All the, characteristics of, all the characteristics of water are still in play here. And when you step out on that, faith is saying, that's going to work. But as we do it, just simply because we're obeying the word of God and what God has said, God makes it true. It gives substance to that step, you see. It's not stepping out as sometimes we say blind faith. Well, we don't know. We're stepping out because God has said it. And I believe it's true. That's what gives substance to it and evidence of the things not seen yet. And he's never seen, Peter had never seen anybody but Jesus now walking on water. It gave him evidence that that was going to be true for him. Such an amazing, amazing thing. Then And... Um, the trouble and the circumstances, as I mentioned before, are, haven't changed here. The waves are still beating. The storm is still raging. And all of this is happening. But faith is conquering over them. And it can do the same in our lives. One man gave this illustration. A thermometer reacts to the temperature, and a thermostat changes the temperature. Now, I don't know if I can explain that right or not, but think about it. It's not... Too profound, maybe a little bit. But every one of us has the opportunity to be one or the other. We can be a thermometer and react to the temperature, or we can act in faith and courage and have victory by faith connected to the one that controls it all like a thermostat. And it will change the temperature, perhaps even just within as we focus on the Lord. The challenge, the focus on the Lord here, this comfort, this crisis, this confidence, this courage, this courage as he steps out of the boat. There's the need for being consistent as we know the passage and how often we preach down about Peter and say, oh, Peter, you sunk. Yeah. Yeah, but Peter, just for a few moments, was walking on water like Jesus. 
I've never done that. I'd like to think sometimes that perhaps I've done exactly as God perhaps wanted me to do, but it's probably been just about as long as Peter walked on water before I lost my focus and began to sink. But he is this need for consistent, being consistent and focused, constant focus, during, uh, constantly focused during the challenges and the crisis at hand. He takes his focus off the Lord to see how bad the circumstances around him are. And in that moment, we lose our focus in this failure that comes and he begins to sink. And the last thing we see here in this challenge is his crying out. He's crying out. The same response we need to do. Let's read the passage, picking it up again in verse 29. He, Jesus, said, come. And when Peter was coming down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And that's our response, isn't it? That's the crying out once again, Lord, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from where I've gotten myself off track. Lord, save me. You know, there may be even someone here this morning that needs to cry out from the depths of your heart because you realize today, as you're confronted with the Word of God, you don't have what Jesus offers in the Bible. You're not saved. You've never cried out to Him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, save me. You know, Jesus is the only one that can save you. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Jesus said that. And today, if you're not saved, you've not been born again, the Bible says ye must be born again, then today can be the day of salvation. You can cry out to Him. He'll save you. He'll save you. For most of us here, perhaps, you know, we know the Lord is our Savior. You know, we're being tossed by the wind. And time is going on. We're getting worn down. And this passage is spoken to us again. And we find ourselves sinking. Why not cry out again, Lord, save me. Save me from this place. Save me from sinking. Save me from drifting. Save me from straying away from you. Lord, save me. You know, I find in the Word of God that when we do that, it's just what it says in verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And that's where the problem lies, right within me, within you, my lack of faith. Why do I doubt? Why do I doubt? But the Lord meets us there. He reassures our hearts. And he brings us back to himself. Praise God, huh? Praise God. Oh, a fresh look at a familiar story. I trust today that we can renew our focus and focus on the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I thank